places, and I sometimes forget that not everybody knows where Mount Vernon, Georgia is. Do most of you know where Bruton Parker College is? Well, just in case, let me explain this this way. How many of you have ever watched Andy Griffith? Okay. You remember Mayberry? You remember Mount Pilot? Valdez is Mount Pilot. We're Mayberry, okay? Anyway, greetings from Bruton Parker College, and thank you so much for supporting our school. You said, well, I didn't think you were in our budget. Oh, yes, we are, because you support the cooperative program. And every dollar that you give in the offering plate on Sunday morning, a portion of that goes to the cooperative program, which helps support mission work here in Georgia, including Bruton Parker College, and also missions all over the world. God's really blessing uh, our school. I think the most significant thing I can say The most important thing I can say is in regard to the transformed lives of students. Uh, I've had the privilege of being present there now four years, and during that time, we've had 200 students make professions of faith in Christ. Somebody, I I said that one time, I said, well, don't you have any Christian students come there? I said, said, let me explain something to you. I said, most everybody has a church membership. You know what I'm saying? I said, but it's another thing to have a living, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And when students come to Bruton Parker College, they are challenged to understand what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In addition, we've had another 200 students make all kinds of commitments, whether it be to ministry, missions, all kinds of things, serving the Lord in whatever way God calls them. So to me, that's the most important thing I can say about Bruton Parker College, because we are in this country losing the age group between 18 and 22, they're dropping out of church in a tremendous numbers. In fact, right now, on average, those who are in church in high school, two-thirds are now dropping out between 18 and 22. It is staggering. In past times, many of those were coming back as they would get married and have children. That is no longer the case. We're losing an entire generation. What's so important about Christian education? Bruton Parker College is a place where students will go and they will be nurtured in a biblical worldview. I can promise you this, there'll be no uncertain sound coming out of Bruton Parker College. For years, the school had had the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 as a doctoral statement. When we arrived, we were able to accentuate that and basically uh, say, this is, this is it and everybody has to follow in that. We had uh, now, every, every faculty member, everyone who works with students signs off on the Baptist Faith of Message 2000, which says God's Word is inerrant, period. No discussion. And so what we do is we want to give them a biblical worldview. Now, listen, don't hear me saying today that Christians can't be called to go to state universities. My daughter went to one, and, and she was definitely salt and light there. I'm not saying that. But we need a place where there's no question where the students go and are immersed in a biblical worldview. And that's what Bruton Parker College is all about. And God's really blessing the decisions, first and foremost, but the growth in enrollment. We've grown, uh, we've grown about right at 25% on our Mount Vernon campus enrollment in the last four years. We're expecting another 5 to 7% growth this fall. We've been able to see about $6 million in improvements in the facilities, all the while reducing our debt by $1.2 million. And if you come to our campus, you'll see that we have remodeled extensively, we're actually finishing a second new dorm. We're building an addition to the student center, all with cash. And so we're very grateful for what God is doing. But again, most importantly, it's about transformed lives. Thank you so much for being a part of that. And I appreciate your pastor, one of our distinguished alums, who we greatly uh, appreciate his leadership in our convention through the years. 
And now I know is he's thrilled. Uh, he came to our chapel this spring, preached a wonderful message. I know he's thrilled to be your pastor. I know you are thrilled to have uh, he and his family here. We are excited about what God's going to do here in Douglas. Now, I just had to ask a question, Brother BJ. I see this clock says 1042. That says 1044. I notice this is two minutes and 48 seconds slower. Which clock do I go by? I knew that. That's the way a music mess. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, you gave it to me early, but I'll really honor the time. But I'd like to ask you this morning, if you would, to turn with me in the book of Revelation chapter 1. We're going to be looking in the book of Revelation chapter 1, and then go all the way to the end, Revelation chapter 22, and we'll be looking uh, at verses 18 and 19. But first, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. And God's Word says this, Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now turn to the very end of the book, Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Please bless it now. May our hearts be receptive to the message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little six-year-old boy was curious, just like little six-year-old boys are, and could not resist going over to an adjacent lot where there was a smoldering pile of rubbish as they were clearing it for a new house. His mother told him not to go, but he just couldn't resist. And as he was walking toward that smoldering pile of rubbish, there on the edge, he noticed a, a little New Testament. Now, at six, he didn't have some sophisticated theological depth about all the aspects of of God's Word, but but he'd been to Bible school and he knew that's not the way you were supposed to treat God's Word, so he kind of carefully went up there and pulled it away from that smoldering pile of rubbish and took that and went back and and, and ran home and said, Mama, Mama, look, look what I found. Look what someone did to the Bible. Well, the mother was busy preparing lunch, just kind of half looked, sort of nodded. Didn't think much about it. Little did she realize, or that little boy, the impact that God's Word would have on his life. I want to ask you the question this morning, what impact has God's Word had on your life? You see, the Scripture says in this passage that it's life and death. How we treat God's Word will determine whether it says here we have the blessings, the way of the blessings, as is proclaimed throughout Scripture, the way of life, or the way of death. And Revelation 22 says we can't add anything to it. Someone said that's the definition of legalism. Or take anything away, that's the definition of liberalism. We must take God's Word as it is. But I want to ask you the question this morning, what impact has God's Word had on your life? Now, 
Focus back with me, please, to verse 3 in Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to see three aspects that the Apostle John has given us in terms of how God's Word can bless us and the conditions. Verse 3, let me read it again. Thank you for putting it back on the screen. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now let me say, John is writing this letter, latter part of the first century, in a time of great persecution. We'll say more about that in just a moment. But I believe that what he is writing here when he said there's a blessing in terms of God's word isn't just for the book of Revelation. But it's for every word that God has given us in the Scriptures. I believe it covers it all. So he's not talking about just his epistle. He's talking about the entire Word of God. And there are three aspects. Now, a little background will help us a little bit, I think, to understand. He said, the one who reads, the one who hears, and the, uh, and the one who heeds. Now, when he says the one who reads... <clears throat> We need to get a different image than what we might have. We think of reading God's Word. We think about sitting back, you know, maybe in our easy chair and the sunroom or something and reading God's Word and meditating. That's really not what he's talking about. Because in those days, I want to ask you a question. Did they, did they have the privilege of having a copy like we have? And by the way, this is my ordination Bible. <laughs> had a long time. No, they had what? Scrolls. And, and this one was just being sent. And so people would come and they would read the epistles of Paul. Now, different with the Old Testament. Those were already there, obviously. So he's talking about, when he says reads, he's talking about the one who would stand up and proclaim God's word. And then when he says hear, he's talking about the person who was sitting out there listening to the word of God. And then, of course, heed simply means to follow. Now, I'd like for us to look at these three admonitions, and let's kind of bring the then into the now, and let's, let's start off by our context, blessed is the one who hears. We'll, we'll reverse order just a little bit to get from the then to the now. Is that okay? Blessed is the one who hears. In other words, the one who receives, the one who takes in God's Word. Now, we have a real issue today in America. We're not taking in God's Word. Earlier we had a prayer for our president and our nation, and First Timothy admonished us to do that, First Timothy 2.4, and we should do that. But the problem in America is that we become biblically illiterate. Now, statistics show that 88% of American households still have a copy of God's Word. Even with all the secularism, even all with the nuns who are not going to church, of Americans still have a Bible in their home, and there are enough Bibles to average four in every home. I would suspect that many of you probably have more than that. My wife and I probably, I haven't counted, we probably have at least 20 Bibles, all kinds of versions and things that we've used through the years. So it isn't that we don't have a copy of God's Word. The problem is we're not receiving God's Word. As a pastor for 32 years, I had the privilege of visiting in a lot of my church members' homes and in some of the earlier churches before they got to be too large where I couldn't do this individually, uh, I like to try to visit every member of, of all the, of the church. Now, that was a big task. I don't know here at First Baptist of Douglas, but, but do you have some church members that you have trouble locating? 
or know where they're at. Uh, at this particular church that I was at, we had, we had church members. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I don't believe the FBI could find. Well, I think the FBI may have been trying to find some of them. But anyway, I'm sure you don't have that, Douglas. But most churches, you've got some that you can't hardly find or they have been active a long time. But I know this, we were going through the list as faithfully as we could. And I believed in trying to call ahead. Ladies, do you appreciate that especially? You know, man, I'll come on over. Ladies, says, no, you know, but anyway. So we try to come, call ahead of time and set up appointments. On more than one occasion, I can remember this scenario. Going in there, and there'd be the coffee table, and there'd be this big, giant Bible. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever seen those big, giant Bibles, okay? And I don't know, I just kind of got the impression that it normally wasn't there, okay? Just call it intuition? I don't know. I kind of felt like maybe it wasn't normally there. But I mean, this was a big Bible. This is a Bible you could work out with, okay? You, you, it, it was big. Or, or if you had an intruder, you could use it as a weapon, you know, but... I got the feeling that it was really just a religious icon. It doesn't matter if we got Bibles sitting around or even toting them around. We need to read the Word of God because there's a tremendous biblical ignorance. I saw a poll from George Barna, and it's shown a continual decline in personal Bible reading. That doesn't surprise us. But some of the questions that he asked in some of his surveys are astounding at the ignorance. For instance, uh, in, in some of his survey, he found that a significant number of people uh, believe that uh, Joan of Arc was Noah's wife, okay? And that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And that Billy Graham preached the Sermon on the Mount. Billy Graham preached a lot of sermons, but he didn't preach the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So you, you see that we have a problem. It's one thing to have a Bible, it's another thing to know the Bible. But blessed is the one who hears or receives, takes in God's Word. I want to challenge you. Are you reading the Bible regularly? Many are not. And the ignorance is profound. Reminds me of a story I heard about regarding this young man who felt called to ministry. I mean, he just wanted to preach more than anything else. He just felt like God was calling him. And he wanted to get a church, so he was just busy asking anybody to recommend he could possibly find, passing out his resume, whatever he could do. Finally, a small little church way out in the country called him. Boy, he was excited. And he went to the interview, okay? I've been through a lot of those, and you never know what you're going to get asked, okay? But anyway, he goes to the interview. They ask all these questions, and they get toward the end, And someone says, well, before you go, we'd like to ask you, what is your favorite Bible passage? He said, oh, I'm so glad you asked me. My favorite Bible passage is when Noah, Abraham's son, was called by God to build this great ark and to fill it up with God's people and to cross the Red Sea into the Promised Land. But all the way, God sent a great storm. And Joshua, Noah's son, fell overboard. But God prepared a great fish that, that swallowed Joshua. And then the fish spewed Joshua out on the shore. But there, behold, was Goliath the giant. Now, Joshua ran around the giant seven times because Joshua was fast. And, and the giant got dizzy and fell over. And Joshua came up behind him, got his sword, and 
cut his head off. He said, that's my favorite passage in all the Bible. Well, the interview kind of closed fairly, fairly quickly, and they dismissed him, sent him on his way, and began to discuss. And the older gentleman in the group said, well, he is young, but he sure knows his Bible. <laughs> now, I'm really proud of this church, and you're a Sunday school church. I saw the attendance that you called on real quickly. But you know what's sad? I could take that story and share in many audiences today, and they'd not have a clue. You think I'm kidding, don't you? They'd say, well, let's see, Noah, you know, giant, right? Biblical ignorance. You know, I don't know a lot of history. This is a wonderful town, and I was complimenting uh, earlier some of the folks I was meeting. For this size town, you guys are really doing well, doing very well. I know it's summer and everything. We've still got a strong attendance today. Uh, that's not true everywhere. I know towns larger than this, the First Baptist Church, doesn't have this kind of attendance and I think that's got a lot to do with your faithfulness to God's word the previous pastor brother Don preaching God's word that certainly is uh fruitful but I don't know a lot of history about this town but I don't think and somebody correct me that they've ever discovered gold in Douglas or the area is that am I accurate about that as far as I know but let's just suppose in our imagination that gold was discovered in Douglas and Coffee County, all around this area. What would happen? Oh, I tell you what would happen. First of all, the hardware hardware store would sell out of shovels and picks and everything. There'd be flatbed trailers all the way down 221, as far as you could see, bringing in backhoes, right? Deacons and pastors would even be out uh, digging in the parking lot, right? Just see if they could could find gold. Everybody would be excited about gold because gold is valuable. But can I say that this is more precious than gold? And, and, and it's, it's a treasure to be mined. Have you found this? I've read the Bible through, I, I don't even know. I know me and my wife have been doing a discipline since 1986, reading it together, and I've read it many times before. But many, many times. And every time it's new and fresh to me, and I get some new gold. How about you? And, and the rich veins of the Word of God. How are you responding to God's Word? The book of Revelation tells us that blessed is the one who hears, the one who receives, the one who takes in. But then he says blessed is the one who reads the Word of God. Now remember, got to get back into that context. He's not talking about sitting in your lazy boy reading it. He's talking about what? The one who boldly proclaims God's Word. Now the reason this is important, this is in a time of intense persecution. Yes, the Revelation, the book of Revelation tells us a lot about the end times and we need to read that and we need to study it. But more than anything else, you know what it is? It's a word to the persecuted church that he's coming and we win. It is an encouragement. You don't have to necessarily understand all the ins and outs of his coming. I don't, you don't, no one knows all the ins and outs, but we know he's coming. Amen. And that's the most important thing. But this is a time of persecution. So when he says, blessed is the one who reads, guess what? He's talking about the one who would stand up at risk of their own lives in some cases to read and proclaim God's word. I want to ask you, what risk do you take? What risk do I have, have I taken or do I take in order to be a faithful witness to God's word? 
Because culture today says what? Accommodate. What anybody wants to do is fine. Don't object. Be supportive. You know, diversity is a wonderful thing and that God has made us all unique and different and bring us all into one. But when you, there's no diversity when it comes to morale. Oh, excuse me, morals. There's, there's no diversity. There's right and wrong. Amen? What God's Word says, period. But what price have we been willing to pay in order to be faithful to God's Word? Blessed is the one who reads. Several years ago, I went to China on a mission trip. It was in a situation where we had to be very careful. We were working with the house churches. And if you know anything about China, there's the registered church, but then most Christians there, probably 75, 80%, are actually in the house churches. The registered church is tightly controlled. They choose the pastor. They choose what the pastor can say. It's very tightly controlled. The house churches are held in anonymity and secrecy, and they preach God's word. And I remember asking one of them, I said, I just wanted to hear what they say. Why is it you risk everything to go to the house church when you could go to the registered church? And they said, we want to go to true church that preaches God's word. My experience there for me was eye-opening. There was an intense persecution going on at the time, like there is now. It kind of comes and goes, but right now it appears to be ramping up even more than ever. And the house church that I was to work with and pastors would be coming for training had actually been raided a couple of weeks before my coming, and I knew about it. And I knew I would be okay if, if I was discovered, they'd just deport me. But for them, there was a higher risk because you see in China when... When the house church is raided, you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes you can just get off of the warning. Other times they may, they may take your job. You show up on money and they say, who are you? They can literally take your property or they can jail you. In fact, two house pastors had been jailed recently in that time period. But what I didn't know when I got there was it's all about relations in China And the local officials, Beijing may make an edict, but the local officials have the final kind of implementation of it. In this case, the man who was a house pastor was highly esteemed by some of the officials in the area. And by the way, many of them are hidden Christians. That's another story. But he got a call the night before the raid was going to take place. And they said, we just want to warn you that you'll have visitors tomorrow. Now, here's the part I didn't know. Didn't know that. He then got on the phone and called all 40. That's usually about the size of a house church because they have to meet in small locations. He called every single one of them and said, I want you to know tomorrow we're going to have visitors. You need to decide whether you want to come or not. And guess what? The next morning they had visitors. But all 40 showed up. Now, they were fortunate and they got a warning. They had to abandon that. Actually, it was rented office space. They had to even though they had a lease, they had to lose the money and go find out, find another location. But let me tell you what happened in my heart. I thought, you know, in the American church, it's a beautiful day. Too pretty to show up. Or it's a rainy day. Too stormy to show up. Or I was walking down the hall last week and, and somebody didn't speak to me and I'm not going to show up. Shame on us. Shame on us. 
And the truth is right now, there are more evangelical Christians in China than there are in America. I know you say they have four times of the population, but I'm telling you, there are more evangelical Christians in China today than there are in the United States. And it's time that the American church show up, stand up, speak up for the Word of God. Thank you for your faithfulness. But I wonder in American churches today, and there may come a day, maybe not in my lifetime, but maybe if, if things aren't changed, maybe in the precious lifetime of these little ones who left, does that cause you concern? Blessed is the one who hears, receives. Blessed is the one who boldly proclaims. I'm not telling you that you won't have to pay a price to stand on the Word of God. But can I tell you this? That's where you need to stand because that's the only thing that's going to remain standing when all else crumbles. Well, finally, he gives this admonition. And blessed is the one who heeds the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The time is near. You say, well, that was 2,000 years ago. But listen, in his mind, uh, as Peter said, a day is a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is a day. And I believe we're closer than ever. And the importance of the faithfulness of the church in this hour is tremendous. That's why we believe it's so important to do what we're doing at Bruton Parker College. Because the time is short. And we're raising up a generation of students that are going to go out with a biblical worldview. I know some people say, well, come on, Steve. Uh, you know, our own campus enrollment in the fall will probably be a little over 500. Our total enrollment will be probably about 1,000 next year with people commuting and dual enrollment and online and satellites and all that. But So they say, you know, Steve, h- how do you expect to make a difference? I mean, up the road, you got Georgia Southern with, what, 20-something thousand students and all these other big universities. And there you are, just little bitty Bruton Parker. How do you think you're going to make any difference? Well, tell that to the 300 that God used with Gideon to send hundreds of thousands of Midianites on the run. Tell that to the 12 disciples that it says in Acts that they turned the world upside down. God doesn't need huge numbers. He just needs committed numbers. So don't tell me that little bitty, itty-witty, Bruton Parker College can't make a difference. And don't tell me that First Baptist Church can't make a difference. Don't tell me that you can't make a difference. But we must be faithful to heed the word of God. James puts it this way. Be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And so it becomes a matter of integrity. Are we truly living the word of God? I want to ask you a question this morning. And this is the question of the message. What difference does the word of God make in your life? Does it make you a a better wife? Better husband? Better parent? A better worker? Does it really make a difference? Lifeway did a study about people who really immerse themselves in God's Word, read it regularly. And they found out, surprise, they're much more committed in church. They give more generously. They're involved in small group Bible study. They come to worship more regularly. They volunteer to serve. They're mission-minded. They're less cantankerous at business meetings. I just made the last one up. But I believe it. All the other ones were true. But the point is, 
that reading God's Word and heeding God's Word really makes a difference. Aren't you grateful for the Word of God? Aren't you grateful for Sunday school? And if you're not in Sunday school, let me tell you this. I encourage you to get in Sunday school. I know some people sometimes have physical reasons and, you know, things. There. I, I get that. I, I'm not been judging anybody. But I'm just saying, if you can possibly be in Sunday school, you need to be in Sunday school. You need to be studying God's Word, opening it up, where you can ask questions and interact. Great to see such a strong Sunday school attendance here at this church. Blessed is the one who hears, receives, and then boldly proclaims it, lives it out there, and then has a life that matches what God's Word says. Well, it's not known what happened to those who carelessly tossed that New Testament into that pile of rubbish. But it is known what happened to that little boy. You might have figured it out. I was that little six-year-old boy. Now, what might surprise you, though, is I still have it. See the char there, Brother BJ? It's the real McCoy. Do you understand now why I have such a passion about what I do? Why I think it's so important that we raise up a generation when they come to college that they don't have their faith deconstructed, but they have it reinforced and informed? It was about three years later, a little less, that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior in vacation Bible school. I had the makings of the preacher then because I could sing the B-I-B-L-E louder than all the other people combined. But how could I ever share what God's Word has meant to me in my life? It's guided me when I didn't know where to go. It's comforted me in my times of grief and losing loved ones. It's rebuked me in my sinful nature. It has been the guide. You see, the written Word of God led me to the incarnate Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? Made flesh. You see, God's written Word brings us to the incarnate Word. And I want to make that invitation to you today. Ma'am, sir, young person, what have you done with God's Word? I know it's faithfully preached today. I mean, in this place, through your pastor, has been for many, many years. And you see that faithful message that Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word of God, fully God, fully man, came and lived a perfect life, died on a cross for you and me and all of our sin. And the Bible says that as many as receive Him, them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on His name. And the Bible says if we'll repent, turn from our sins, and receive Jesus Christ, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't leave this place today. Because you see how you respond. Don't leave this place today without receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. I know this church would rejoice.
You say, well, Steve, I've, I've already done that. Well, are you sharing the word, living the word? By the way, I always like to share this. Yes, Gideon's, this is a Gideon New Testament. I always like to say I've given that testimony at Gideon meeting. I'll say, somebody threw it away, but somebody picked it up. And let me tell you something. Like the Gideons, we need to be sharing and spreading God's word. But you got to know it. Man, I'm going to challenge you. Would you assume that mantle of spiritual leadership in your house, all the way growing up with our kids, we had devotions, we read God's word, and it's been a blessing in our family. Would you take the mantle of spiritual leadership and, and lead your family in devotions to the word of God? Would you do that? I believe it would change America if just in churches the men would stand up and heed the word of God and, and give that devotional leadership. Don't you think it would make a difference? This morning, how do you respond to God's word? First and foremost, to receive him as Savior. But if you know him, to live it, to heed it, embrace the word of God. Shall we pray? Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, we thank you for your word of God and its power. We pray that, Lord, there would not be one person leave here today without knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. Father, that they would know that the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, that by turning from our sins, as I did when I was nine years old, after having the the working of the Holy Spirit and, and through that experience and others in Bible school, Lord, softening my heart that I would come to know you as Savior. I'm so grateful. And I pray that not one person would leave here today without that sure and certain knowledge. But Lord, for those that know us, that we continue to embrace your word, learn it. Hide it in our hearts so we may not sin against you. Walk in its ways. Let it be a a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. That we may honor and glorify Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this time?